Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show Q&A, where Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja answer questions about the playoff and its contenders from subscribers. Thanks, you guys, for joining us once again. It's Doug and Shahan. Shahan, I just saw this, not to brag, but we are the 75th most popular football podcast in Singapore, according to some chart. So if you're listening to us in Singapore, thanks for making it happen for the college football playoff show. Of course, it's our Tuesday show. We take questions from our tech subscribers, but news breaking as we record this Monday night, Shahan Clay Helton is out at USC and this is a playoff podcast, which means we haven't been talking about USC much, but in a normal college football world, USC is a type of program that we should be talking about a lot. Do you think this next hire for USC, I mean, is there any reason that it won't put them back right in the middle of the playoff mix as the power in the Pac-12? That's the thing, right? The Pac-12 has not been very involved in the playoff conversation. It's because their power disintegrated, whereas the SEC's power, Bama, has been there. Texas disintegrated, but Oklahoma has been the Big 12's power. Ohio State's been the Big 10's power. Clemson has been the ACC's power. It's kind of USC's fault that the Pac-12 is out of the playoff world. Should they be right back in with whoever they they hire next? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at these playoff discussions, one thing that I look at a lot, and the reason to me that the SEC is just a step above, multiple steps above everybody else, is because I do think that you look for these teams with implicit credibility, right? That's one thing covering the Big 12 for so long, is that you know that Oklahoma's got that. You knew in the past, obviously, that Texas had that. And I think that's been one of the issues with the Pac-12 is not is that having one is nice. I think that Oregon in some ways has been that one. But if you only have one, then who's that team supposed to be? Right. Who's that team supposed to build credibility against? Yeah. And so I think more than anything else, you don't need USC to be playoff good. You don't need USC to be the team, but you need them to be the team that when the team beats the team, it's at least good enough to kind of build them some credibility. So this I, I think it's a very important hire, like you mentioned not just for USC, uh, but also for the Pac-12. Now, I will mention, Oregon's doing great things. They've got a great non-conference schedule. We'll obviously talk about more probably in this show and tomorrow uh, what they did against Ohio State. So that kind of stuff is going to help too. What's going to help more than anything is if you have a team make it to the playoff and have some success. If you have a team win a national championship, that's obviously a whole other level of that. And so there's ways that the Pac-12 can recover without USC being good, but it just makes the margin that much thinner when it doesn't happen. But 
I still think it makes more sense for USC to be good than it makes sense for Oregon to be good. I sure. I'm like Oregon should be the team that makes USC look good when USC beats Oregon, right? That 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 USC has fallen off the cliff here. They won seven straight Pac-12 Pac-12 titles between 2002 and 2008. In the last 12 years, USC has won one Pac-12 title. And that was the year they beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Sam Darnold emerged at the end of the year. And that was great. But you look at this is just the recruiting catching up with Clay Helton, right? That at some point you you get fired because you lose to Stanford, but you lose to Stanford because you fell apart in recruiting. His first two full classes at USC, number four in the country in 2017, number four in the country in 2018. 20th class in 2019, I think in 2020 was maybe the worst recruiting job in the, by any school in any year in the history of recruiting. 64th ranked class. They got one of the top 29 players in the state of California in 2020. One of the top 29. And you know who three of the top players in California were that year were? The current starting quarterbacks for Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Yep. So that's the kind of thing that has happened here. You know what happened when, when USC finished 20th in the country in recruiting in 2019? You know who like the best player in California was that year? Kayvon Thibodeau, the best defensive player in college football right now. You know who was a great California player that year? Mikhail Wright, the best corner for Oregon right now. All these guys are going out and lighting up. So like, all and by the way, JT Daniels was at USC. So it's like everybody else, like the four best teams in the country all have quarterbacks that should be USC's quarterback. So this was eventually going to catch up with him. This 2022 recruiting class they're trying to pull together right now 39 of the top 50 players in the state of California are currently committed in the class of 2022. Two of them are committed to USC. Shahan, how can kids in California not want to play at USC? It is not a surprise that Clay Helton got fired on Monday. It's a surprise that Clay Helton didn't get fired years ago. Well, it is very interesting because this has been part of a trend. Uh, you mentioned those guys who, uh, those top quarterbacks, right? Several of them played within miles of each other and all of them go all the way across the country in order to play at better schools. And so this isn't just a USC problem. It is a USC problem, but it's not just a USC problem. This is a Pac-12 problem. And this is a perception gap more than anything else because these kids are going to the SEC. They're not going to the SEC because it's convenient, because their parents can go see their games, or even because it's like, the best environment, the best school, the best opportunity. They're doing it because if you're a top 10 player in the country, you want to play for something. And perception becomes reality in recruiting. And so when you see these teams in the SEC and then you top Clemson on top of that, when you see these teams compete for national championships and the teams in the Pac-12 year after year after year be irrelevant in the national conversation, unfortunately, this stuff adds up. And now I, I do want to move on to... I feel like there's a no-brainer for this job. Okay. And he's been the same guy that I feel like has been rumored year after year. And I didn't get it at first, right? And I'm talking about James Franklin over at Penn State, right? I didn't get it at first. Partially because I felt like, I don't want to use the word underachieve at Penn State because he's done amazing things, I think, at Penn State. He's won conference championships. He's been nationally competitive. They've had a chance to go to the college football playoff and, and just didn't quite get there. But, you know, I, I do feel like they're reaching a ceiling of what modern Penn State is, right? I, I just wonder if there's another gear. And James Franklin has always been very clear. He wants to win a national championship. He wants to become the first black coach to ever win a national championship uh, at the FBS level because that hasn't happened. And 
the more that I think about this, I think one, USC needs somebody who will be that dude in recruiting, right? They need somebody who will walk into people's houses and say, you're going to come with me and I'm going to do the thing, right? And James Franklin has proven he can do that during his time at Penn State. Uh, the one place that they struggled, which was we, we, we need to have a whole podcast where, we, where I ask you why the Big Ten sucks at quarterback, but you know that's the one position where they've had issues and California is the place if you're going to go find a quarterback. California is one of the places that you want to be. So I would have confidence that he could find that guy. The other thing too, and probably the bigger thing, is that when James Franklin took over the job at Penn State, I think that a lot of us wondered, is this going to be a premier job long-term? Because this was so much about the guy who was there before. And I think that it says a lot about James Franklin that he not just had success at Penn State, but that he kind of rebuilt it into a power program. And USC needs a guy like that. Somebody who's going to walk in the door, say, this is my program. You're going to do things my way. We're going to build the facilities I want. We're going to recruit the way I want. And we're going to have an identity as a program. And so after eight years at Penn State, I mean, James Franklin has plenty of reasons to want to stay, right? There's no reason that he has to leave. But if he wants to leave, I mean, I think that USC is a really good spot for him. He has the personality to do it. And to me, if you don't take this job, then I maybe you're saying you're going to stay at Penn State for the long haul. Because if you're not leaving right. for USC, what are you leaving for? Like, right. what do you, what, what would get you to go? And what he did at Penn State, I think, is harder than what he would have to do at USC. He has rebranded Penn State in his image. And USC has a lot more going for it. And one of the things USC has going for it that Penn State doesn't is no Ohio State. Penn State is ramming its head into the Ohio State wall every year. At USC, if you go there, you should be the best program. There's not a there's not a speed bump right in front of you every year. My good friend Dave Jones, one of the best college football writers in the country, has a story, 10 good reasons that James Franklin could leave Penn State for the USC Trojans. It's a really interesting, informative story. The most interesting thing about it is he wrote it in November 2018. Right. And it absolutely still applies today. Some people are saying Luke Fickle, Cincinnati head coach to USC because the USC AD, the, the USC AD is the old Cincinnati AD who hired Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. I think it makes much more sense, James Franklin to USC, Luke Fickle to Penn State. That makes yeah. much more sense to me on both ends. Luke is more definitive, I think, Midwest guy, even though James Franklin's from Pennsylvania. I just think James Franklin fits USC better. USC's got to be cool, just like Miami. Yep. I think, to me, yep. USC and Miami football, of course it's more than this, but step one is make it cool to right. be a Trojan. And I right. think James Franklin fits that better than some of the other people on their list. Now, listen, I, right? You can't just be like Lane Kiffin cool. Although, frankly, <laughs> like current modern day, take his lumps, learn from Nick Saban, figure it out, Lane Kiffin. If Lane Kiffin hadn't already been the failed head coach at right. USC. I actually think he would make a lot of sense for USC. So you yeah. can't just get sizzle, but you got to have some sizzle, especially right. coming off Clay Helton. When everybody says Clay Helton's the nicest guy in the world, no sizzle, it's not cool. You had a class that was 64th in the country. You need something different than that. And I think James Franklin is, is a good fit to be different. Yeah, no, no question about it. And so we'll see, obviously, if it happens. But one thing that I'll point to as well, right, is that Penn State obviously is recruited at a crazy high level. Like they've been one of those programs that's recruited at a top 10 level. And again, I, I think that they didn't have to be this after everything that happened back 10 years ago. Right. And so I think it's a credit to him. And the thing that I will say though, too, right. Is that you've had situations, Justin Fields, right? Like you have this great quarterback. who's like, man, I love James Franklin, man. I'd love to play for him. And then it's like, 
I'll have to sit back and think about it. And then you realize uh, maybe that's not the best decision. You're not going to have that second thought at USC. The first thought's going to be enough. And so I don't know if that's what James Franklin wants. I mean, there's plenty of other good candidates. Uh, Some of the ones that I've seen are a little strange. I don't think Bob Stoops is going to come back out of coaching. Uh, You know, I don't think that Chris Peterson's about to reenter college football. But, you know, I mean, there, there are other good candidates. I think that you consider Campbell. I feel like he also isn't that sizzle too, right? I feel like it's similar to the Fickle thing. Uh, you know, but there there are some good coaches around. <clears throat> I think that certainly you look at some of the up-and-coming young offensive minds. I, I think that you look in that kind of direction. But at the end of the day, man, I, I just feel like when you look at everything that USC needs to be, I think you need a guy who's proven. You need somebody who's built a program before. You need somebody who can do this stuff both on the field and off the field. And like you mentioned, sizzle in recruiting and, and just feels like a no-brainer to me. I think James Franklin as the coach at USC certainly would have gotten either Bryce Young or DJ Uyunglele or CJ Stroud. He wouldn't have let all three of those guys get out of California. I think it. I think it's a very good chance it happens. And then Matt Campbell, again, Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell might be might arm wrestle for the Penn State job <laughs> if it comes down that way. Because again, those it, are it, two it, sort of tried and true Ohio guys who, if you're not yeah. if you're not going to wait out Ryan Day at, at Ohio State, what's the next closest thing? It's Penn State, and I right. think they'd both be great fits there. And it's. I think that that could be a situation where kind of everybody wins, except for yeah. Clay Helton. But, you know, everybody else wins. Well, Clay, Clay Helton has his money. He's good, man. He's oh, okay. He'll, he'll, get a, he'll get a coordinator <laughs> job somewhere. He'll be fine. Will he? Well, is he really known for any of that kind of stuff? I think he's going to be like a – I don't know, man. Well, what does Clay Helton do next? It'll, it'll be fun to watch. Anyway, we'll, we don't have to figure all that out. You right can now. find that. Maybe he'll get a podcast. I don't know. That's what the, <laughs> get he may be our competition. Very soon. <laughs> it will be number 76 in Singapore. <laughs> come on, Clay. Come for us, man. Come for us. We own Singapore. All right. Let's get into our tech subscriber questions. If you want to be a tech subscriber, get to ask questions, get to take part in surveys, get to decide which teams we kick out and let in of our discussion. You can join us. We'd love to have you. 817-442-6789. You send a text to that number. You get it free for two weeks. And it's a buck a month after that. We don't bombard you, but we send you little tidbits and then you get to ask us questions and take part in surveys. Questions like this one, Shahan. And, and I think this is, we are really getting into some jockeying now. When you look at the Iowa State loss, when you look at the Ohio State loss, especially when you look at some of like Notre Dame looking uncertain again, we are really getting into jockeying mode. Our guy Jorn, both Clemson and Ohio State have one loss. If both win out, who has the better chance of making the playoffs, Jahan? It is never too early for this kind of thing. This sort of delves into the thing that I, the reason I left Clemson out of my playoff because I could see this happening. Shahan, I think it's very possible, just the way it's unfolded so far. For the moment, I'm going to think about two SEC teams in the playoff and then Oklahoma. So I really do think this might be what it comes down to. Who would win that battle, do you think, if both Ohio State and Clemson went out? Well, let me answer your question with a question. Do you know how many ranked teams Clemson has left on its schedule? Well, Shahan, I started this podcast a little bit late because I was late getting back from my daughter's tennis match. And I also wanted to do a little schedule research. So I have a version of that answer. But why don't you answer it first? The answer is zero, right? And so the reason that the answer is very clearly Ohio State is because you have a team in Iowa that is right. I I think they're fifth in the new AP poll, right? Like they're way up there. So they're a team right on the edge of the playoff in the first place. So Ohio State would have to beat Iowa to have a shot at the playoff. No, I don't, I don't know if I was going to go through unscathed and if they're going to be a top five team by then, 
but they'll be a top 15 team, worst case scenario. And you have other teams on the schedule. You have Penn State, you have Michigan, who's right on the edge of being ranked. If not, I think they're maybe late in the rankings right now. Like you have multiple teams on the schedule right now, if you're Ohio State, to where there none of them might be ground shaking wins, but they're meaningful wins in games that people are going to watch. And so for me, I think it's very obvious that if it comes down to those two teams, the resumes are not close. Now, at the same time, again, I, I think that you need to make sure that Oregon doesn't end up being a bad loss too. If Oregon suddenly goes eight and four in the Pac-12, then suddenly this looks a whole lot worse. But there's so many opportunities for, for Ohio State to play its way back into the conversation that it's no question to me. I think that uh, Ohio State has the easier path. And I think, Shahan, in this case, you want the harder schedule, right? I think yes. sometimes people get too caught up in the easier schedule. Once you lose, you want an easy schedule to be undefeated because undefeated's yes. in if you're a power five team. Yes. Once you have a loss, you want a hard schedule because you have to prove yourself. I did the ESPN power index for my rankings. Current top 25 teams left for each team, Clemson one, Ohio State two. Current top 40 teams left, Clemson two, Ohio State six. Current top 60 teams left, Clemson four, Ohio State eight. Clemson is going to have a hard time impressing people. Now, as you said, I think the fact that Kayvon Thibodeau did not play and that it was at home makes the Ohio State loss substantially worse than, than the Clemson loss. Now, we also know that Georgia is better than Oregon, but Georgia was also missing people. If Georgia gets a bunch of people back, George Pickens and others, and their offense in the back end half of the year looks explosive, then people are going to say, listen, man, this was not Clemson. Yeah, they shut them down, but they couldn't even beat Georgia when Georgia had half its offense, right? So it's right. not like Clemson's win is perfect, but it's neutral site. I really think it makes Oregon's win look better. You did it on the road without your best player. It makes Ohio State's loss look worse. So I do think that if you end up just comparing losses, Clemson wins. But I think the committee's past that. It's more about how impressive are you when you win. I think it's a beauty contest all year. I'm not I'm not guaranteeing that either of them win out, but I it's certainly possible both win out and they are going to have to put on a show. I don't know, don't know if you have to leave guys in longer in the second half of blowouts or whatever, but like you you can't just win. They're both in look good mode. I know sometimes coaches hate that, Shahan, but that is the reality in the playoff world. It's not just what you do. It's how you look. Once you get that loss, you got to get gussied up when you go out because they're looking at you every week, aren't they? Well, let's stay on the topic of uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes because Susan has a great yeah. question. Why did Ohio State lose? I'm so sad. I have gotten a version of this question <laughs> 1,000 times since the game ended. I was in Ohio Stadium for that loss. There's two things that happen here, and they're connected, but they're totally separate. Their defense isn't good enough, right? Their defense is not mm -hmm. good enough. They had basic execution issues. Their talent level on defense is a step down from what Ohio State normally has. And then there are questions about their scheme. They run this single high safety that not many teams run anymore. You're supposed to stop the run a little bit better, but they didn't stop the run at all against Oregon. They still got gashed. And it's like, why are you doing that? You get an extra guy in the box, but you end up with only like sort of one guy as a last line of defense. And by the way, for Ohio State, the guy who, who has been their best free safety is now out for the year. Josh Proctor injured his leg in that game, and he's gone. So now they're, they're going to end up trying to play this defense with only the second-best guy they have back there. I think they might have to make a schematic switch, switch. I think they might have to think about it. But the other part of it is, C.J. Stroud threw for 484 yards. It was the weirdest 484 I, I ever saw. 
And in a game like that, if you had a Heisman level quarterback, he might have saved you. Justin Fields might have saved you. Spencer Rattler might have saved you. Bryce Young, the way he's played early this year, might have saved you. That's a lot to put on a second-year quarterback making a second career start. How come you didn't save this defense that couldn't stop anybody? But sometimes that's what it takes. Now, listen, he threw for 44. That means he made some good throws, but he also missed some things. They got out of whack with the run game. So it's on the defense, Shahan, but we've seen that sometimes. And, and often teams like this have a special quarterback. It's just mostly... And that is, he hasn't matured to it yet. It's not CJ Stroud's fault, but that just makes Ohio State, you have less room for error, right? Because you don't have a guy who's ready to save you right now. And nobody on defense can save him either. They do not have a Ryan Shazier, Malik Hooker, Jeff Okuda, Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Darren Lee, Raquan McMillan kind of dynamic, make a play out of nowhere guy. They don't, and they usually do. Most of the other teams we talk about, you know who has those guys? Georgia, Bama, Clemson, they all have those guys. So it's that rough combination. The defense doesn't have a savior. The offense doesn't have a savior at quarterback. They have him at receiver, but someone's got to get the receivers the ball. They had three receivers go for over 100, and it wasn't enough. So they're caught in between a little bit, but it starts with defense. Sorry, Susan, that you're sad, but everybody in Ohio knows it starts with defense. Well, I think the thing, because we knew that the secondary was a little shaky, right? But the thing I think that has shocked me the most, or or did shock me the most in that game, was how poorly they set the edge, right? Like, the defensive line feels like the place where they should be pretty good, right? I mean, it's more the interior than maybe the ends, but, like, you saw Zach Harrison get blown by, right? A really, really good player. And, like, uh, the the one that really sticks out to me was, I I think it was the last touchdown, the last C.J. Verdell touchdown, where he just, like, hits the corner and it's like, where is everybody? Like, where are the, where is everybody? And I don't know, that was, that was a shock to me. And I will say, right. Like, like you mentioned, I mean, DJ Stroud, when you have receivers this good, like being a game manager is enough, but it was very game manager. It was a very game manager 484 yards. Yeah. Right. And so I don't know. It's it, with a lot of these teams and, and, obviously with Justin Fields at Ohio state the last couple of years, right. It, it feels like, it feels like you just have something that you can't contain for too long. And with this kind of, again, with, with a quarterback like Stroud, who doesn't make too many mistakes, but also doesn't necessarily make the winning plays either. It was weird. I, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like I was watching Ohio state. <laughs> it's really the biggest thing. It didn't feel like that. No, it's a, it's a tough reality. And They need to figure that out. They need to figure out what C.J. Stroud's upside is. Listen, he's, of course, he's going to develop. Of course, he's going to get get better. And again, it it is no one should put this loss on a guy making a second start at quarterback. No. But when you try to project it forward and say, does that guy at his best beat Bama? Is that guy's upside at a Heisman level? And that is a very high bar. But guess what? That's the modern bar at Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Alabama. Yep. If you don't think your quarterback can win the Heisman, it might not be the right quarterback. And so that's something that they're going to have to... Ohio State plays Tulsa and Akron the next two weeks. They're going to have to start figuring that out. Again, we're not saying he has to win the Heisman now and look like that. But what's his upside? But again, they got to get the defense fixed. Some very basic stuff on the edge. Corners not doing their responsibilities. And linebackers kind of getting blocked and not being able to get off blocks. And again, defensive ends crashing in when it looked like maybe that are they supposed to be doing that? All right, we'll take a quick break. A lot going on. Great questions from our tech subscribers. We'll get to more of them next on the college football playoff show. 
Doug and Shahan back with you. Shahan, how's the new gig going so far? You like working for those folks at CBS Sports? And uh, has Romo come over for ribs yet? <laughs> not as yet. Not as yet. I think he's a little occupied right now. But uh, it's been a good start. It's been a good start. I, I will say one thing that's been a little funny is like we get like emails with analytics. You know, this is pretty typical with any job. And I'll tell you what, man, just uh, getting those CBS analytics or something, man, seeing the number of people who read your stuff these days, it's it's like, oh, man, I, I think that I had like, no, it wasn't even a typo. It was like it went from seven ranked teams losing to eight ranked teams losing. But we had already like published the article by the time that it came out. And like I got like three or four emails and like two of them were like in the email address that I don't have up publicly. So like it's they found it's, you. Yeah, they, they found me somehow. So it's but it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've been really enjoying it. The people I work with are great. Uh, you know, they, they said that they haven't had to add somebody this close to the season ever since like this management group started over there. So I think I'm doing OK so far. Wow. Do you, do you have any sense with the, from those analytics on what your readership in Singapore is? Any? Just... I, hey, man, we got to boost it up. We got to get. That's why they brought me on. You know, they knew that I have the the in with that market. All right. Next question from our guy Eric. I love when people cut to the chase. Is there anyone good in college football besides Alabama and Georgia, Sean? Well, uh, I at this moment, at this moment, I would actually say that Alabama is the only good one because Georgia did not look perfect. But well, I, I liked some of Georgia with the backup quarterback last week. This <laughs> makes me intrigued for the Wednesday pod. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely do think that Georgia's a clear number two. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that after that one and two, those are two clearly the two best teams in college football right now. To me. And I don't think that there's any question about it. Um, and that next group is really interesting because I think, uh, you know, I think in the, again, in the AP poll, it was like Oklahoma and Iowa and Oregon right in that next tier. I think that Clemson still very much deserves to be there, though they got to fix some issues on the offensive line. I'm by no means writing off Ohio State. I still think that they're maybe the most talented team in the country. Like, there's a lot of very good teams this year that have the potential to be great teams, but we haven't seen a lot of this. I mean, Heck, Oregon, I think that Oregon still has some upside that we haven't seen. Is it? We haven't seen them kind of full go with Kayvon Thibodeau really doing his thing. And, and when he was healthy, right? Because that felt very much like a, like almost like with some teams, when they lose their starting quarterback, right? Things just kind of, everything's built around that. And so you kind of just lose everything, right? And so it felt like that with the Oregon versus Fresno State game once they lost Thibodeau, that they just built everything around the idea that this guy was going to dominate that one-on-one matchup. So I'm not, I'm not reading too much into that. Right. So I think that if, if you're asking about good teams, I think that there are a lot of good teams this year. I think that there's, you know, obviously the ones that we've mentioned, I still think that Iowa State's a good team, even though they're going to, we're going to ask some tough questions about them. I still think that, uh, you know, I think that there's some good group of five teams. Cincinnati, I think is a really good team. I think Coastal Carolina I'm still really high on. So if you're asking about good teams, I think that there's a lot of really good teams. If you're asking about great teams, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a chase for Alabama, I think, until Georgia plays against Alabama in the SEC title game. I do think it's hard for people when we live in a world where four teams have dominated the playoffs so far, and two of those four already have a loss. Yeah, right? crazy. And so people, I think people want something new, but then there's some trepidation about the new teams. And so you look at Oregon and Oklahoma, for instance, they might be three and four right now, and they both looked really weird in, re- in week one. 
right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I think you might be like the teams I'd pick to make the playoff, but also what was up against Fresno State and Tulane? And then you might get to Iowa, and it's like, is it really Iowa? And by the way, we're going to have an Iowa podcast around with us on the Wednesday podcast to kind of ask that question, is it really Iowa? And it gets, it gets difficult because this is sort of what everybody wants. Everybody always says, oh, it's the same old teams all the time. And then you take out a couple of the same old teams, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Who else is left? But I will say right now, Shahan, we are open to going 12 deep in our playoff discussion. We are at 10. We're definitely going to kick somebody out. We're probably going to add some teams this week. I can't find 12. Like I am, this is, I was like going through and I was like, oh, should we cut it down to seven? Like it does not, we are not overflowing with got to discuss playoff teams, I think at the moment. So I definitely get sort of where where Eric is coming from with this question. Yeah, it's it's going to make things, I think, really interesting as we get into it. And I, I do want to say, right, I was such a weird team to evaluate, like, their quality, because when you watch their games, you're just like, what the hell am I watching? Like, I think that Iowa finished with, like, 170 total yards, and they dominated the hell out of that game. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they look really good. I mean, they've done it. They, they've got through two games, probably the second best resume in college football other than the team that beat Clemson, right? Like, I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. So it'll be interesting. I don't know. I I think that this is definitely going to be a year that we're going to need to see five, six, seven games before I can feel really good about anybody. Let's see. Uh, let's move on to Mark's question. I'm firmly on board with this being, quote, another 20, 2007, excuse me, of madness. Give me a two-loss team. Give me Cincinnati. You can get weird enough. So what's the oddest reality we could face after what we've seen this far? I, I do think the oddest reality would be something along the lines of undefeated Cincinnati and like six one-loss teams from Power Five conferences, right? That if Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Oregon all have one loss and Cincinnati's undefeated and you've got to take four of those seven that's where you wind up in a world where the committee can't win there. They're going to have people mad at them no matter what. And it is funny, Shahan, since like a very controversial start to the playoff in 2014, there have been a lot of years where it's been like anybody could have picked the four they wound up with. They're like, all right, there's like a thing for four or five, but it's not super controversial. I know the texter referenced 2007. And one of the things that's interesting about 2007 is, again, it was some of these teams that you wouldn't expect that were kind of involved in it late. We eventually got to a point where Ohio State and LSU played for the national championship, but it looked like Ohio State was going to have this, you know, like devastating loss. And then it turned out that, you know, they they were able to overcome that because other people lost. But that was because teams like Missouri and West Virginia lost late in the year. And that, I think, might also happen here, Shahan, that if we wind up in a spot where some unexpected teams, what if? Right. Say Alabama has a weird stumble or whatever. And I was number one, like in week nine. And all of a sudden, Iowa, which is a very good football program with an experienced coach, is somewhere like it's never really been before. And you're dealing with that. Can you put it away at the end of the year? It's what people want. You know, again, who are the top three in week 10? Iowa, UCLA and Texas A&M. It'd be like, wow, that's awesome and cool. But can those teams put it away? I, I think we could be headed for that kind of madness, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that I think that Alabama right now is the class college football, but I mean, they also played a Miami team that looked pretty bad against Appalachian State, right? So like, there is certainly a chance 
that Alabama loses one or two games, right? And then all of a sudden you're in a position where not only are we looking at, a, you know, multiple one-loss teams fighting for playoff spots, but we're potentially every single one of these four teams that we've kind of classified as our, our sure things might suddenly have their chances be in jeopardy. I mean, I don't think that Oklahoma is going to finish the season undefeated after what we saw against Tulane, right? I still think they're going to go 12 and one and make the playoff, but like there's a lot to figure out right now. So I do think that the weirdest thing that could happen, like you mentioned, is a group of five team finally getting into the college football playoff. Now that would take a lot. And I don't know if things are breaking quite right for them right now, because Notre Dame does not look great. Right. Uh, you know, and Indiana obviously fell out of the rankings after getting crushed in week one. So, like, things haven't really gone right for them so far, and they kind of need some breaks, especially maybe with some teams in the American Athletic Conference looking a little better than than people thought. But, like, if they go 13-0 and and blow through their schedule and make, you know, Notre Dame look like a not very good team, like, you might be in a situation where there's one and two lost teams potentially fighting for a playoff spot and suddenly things become real interesting in a world where two of my playoff teams lost this week, Ohio <laughs> state and Iowa state, I will take a win by calling Miami fake good last week. So I will, I would like to claim that one for myself because there's not much else going right for me. All right, we'll take one more quick break. We'll be back with the last couple questions from our tech subscribers. Again, we'd love to have you join us. 817-442-6789. We'll be back after this on the college football playoff show. Doug and Shahan, a lot of questions, Shahan, that sort of are, I think, almost eagerly anticipating this chaos, which, again, <laughs> I'm here for it, too. Our guy, Matthew, asked a lot of different questions in sort of creating some chaos, but I want to zero in on one part of it. The idea of the winner of the UCLA and Oregon game finishing undefeated and having to get in the playoff. They do play in the regular season. And then they very likely might be on what we've talked about, like with an Oklahoma, Iowa state path where they're going to play again because they, they seem to be, especially with what's happening at USC. And again, Washington lost in the North. I don't know who are the second best teams in the South and the North behind USC and Oregon right now. We, we were doing some surveys with our people last week about the PAC 12 before Oregon's win. Not a lot of people were in on the PAC 12 yet. UCLA and Oregon have the Pac-12 in a very interesting spot. Can you envision a world where, you know, they both sort of run the table other than the games against each other? And then does it feel like UCLA or Oregon, even if they split, now if they split, then it's going to be messy again. But what do you think about that idea of that being like a super important, vital playoff play-in game? Yeah, I mean, I definitely could see it. The one thing that I'll say is that I'm still a little lukewarm on UCLA, not because I don't think that they're very good, but because I think that we, by we, I mean, all of y'all, it wasn't me, might have overrated LSU, right? I mean, this is a very talented team, but I don't know that it's a very good team right now. So I do think that that might be something that rears its head later in the year. But let's say, right, that you're in a situation where these teams play as undefeated. Yeah, I mean, I definitely could see this being a situation where, you know, a, a team has a chance to get into the college football playoff because, you know, we talked about it and we've talked about the idea before of absorption, right? And so any LSU hype that existed is now in UCLA's pocket. And more than anything else, right? Like just the idea that they're able to play that way against, I, I don't want to call them way more talented, but LSU is one of those teams, a way more talented team, even if they're not necessarily the greatest team. 
I think that's a credit to them. And I think that people are going to remember that. And then obviously, I mean, I, I don't remember. I mean, I guess the answer would be a week before, but like, uh, I, I don't remember the last game that involved a playoff contender that was as impressive a win as going on the road and beating Ohio State like that. Yeah, you know, Clemson uh, lost to Georgia just a week earlier, but this was in their house. This was in like the big comeback of fans, like the first big, big, big game at Ohio State. And Oregon comes in and kind of beats their butts, right? So I do think that the Pac-12 has more momentum than they've had in many years. And I mean, because I think that the way that we thought about the playoff almost is like, We've been like, okay, here are the four teams that we're starting with, right? We're expecting four conferences to get in and maybe something changes and almost thought uh, that the Pac-12 is going to not get in as sort of like the first thoughts. And I do think that's going to be a little different. I do think that we're going to end up in a situation where we're going to think, okay, the SEC's in. We're probably almost assuming two SEC teams like what you said. And like, okay, the Pac-12 is right there. And whoever wins the Big Ten is going to be right there. And Clemson's going to be right there. And so I do think that that changes the conversation a little bit. And more than anything, right, I talked about it at the beginning of the show, perception is reality. So the perception is starting to get there. And I think that's a good thing for this conference. I agree. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, I, th- I think you spelled it out. Yeah. Listen, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very different world for the Pac-12 where people are at least are open to them, right? Yes. That, that they have to open that up. Because I think the college football, including the committee, has been very closed off to them and I, and with good reason. Right. So that this is I know John Wilner, who I think, you know, everybody knows is one of the best writers in the Pac-12, had talked about how important this weekend was for the Pac-12. And so Washington didn't get it done at, at Michigan. But I mean, this win for Oregon is a not just a program shaping game, but a conference shaping game that they they needed that and they got it. And they're in the discussion. I, I like to think, it, again, at least in Singapore, we set the agenda for the playoff on this show. And we're talking <laughs> about Oregon, and that matters. Absolutely. Well, let's let's finish it off with a question from Scott. Regarding Penn State, they should get in the discussion board, but not by virtue of their win, but because of the defensive vulnerability of Ohio State and potential that Penn State has an opportunity to win the Big Ten Championship. So simply put, should Penn State be in the playoff discussion? You know, we're going to vote on this uh, on Wednesday about teams getting in. There are Penn State is the number one team in the Big Ten that is not afraid of Ohio State. I think most yes. other teams in the Big Ten, including Michigan, have Especially something. Michigan. Is, well, yeah, <laughs> not including. <laughs> Talking to you, Harbaugh. No, listen, I mean, it's just a reality because, I mean, Michigan's done kind of a lot of like sort of like sloganeering to kind of pump themselves up for the Ohio State game. And like Penn State just gets on the field and says, let's go. And they had the win in 2016. They had leads in 2017 and 2018 and ended up losing by a point. You can say, oh, they blew it, but they went toe-to-toe with them. And they even hung in the past couple of years with Justin Fields, maybe when they didn't have a right to hang in there. Jahan Dotson is great, right? I think as a, as a receiver, he's as good almost at the level of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are the guys who make Ohio State go right now. Jahan Dotson makes Penn State go. They have, I think, some better standout defensive guys I think Ohio, than Ohio State. Ohio State would take Penn State's linebackers right now. I think Noah Kane is a guy at running back that can make some plays for you for Penn State. And then it comes down to quarterback. And Sean Clifford, who I think has a lot of reasonable questions around him, has been pretty decent through the first couple games. And a lot like C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's young. Sean Clifford's old. But they don't 
They don't need to win games by themselves. They just can't lose it. He was 16 for 21 last week in the first half against Ball State. That's what you're supposed to do, right, against a team like that. In that game, 11 carries for 66 yards. If he can just get the ball to Dotson, let the defense go to work, there's a formula here, right? So I I could see it. And so are we going to rank, are we going to put Penn State in our conversation just because Ohio State looks vulnerable? I do think that's connected somewhat because if it's like, well, Ohio State looks like the Chiefs, what's the point of talking about Penn State? That's not the case. So I think that's reasonable. And I think that will be a very, Interesting game, but the number one thing is Penn State has talent. Nobody has Ohio State's talent in the Big Ten. Penn State comes closest, but Penn State's not afraid. And if you give them a couple playmakers and a quarterback who can do a little bit of something, Clifford hasn't been good enough against Ohio State the past couple of years. If he can peak, they have some other things that could make it interesting, especially when you see how vulnerable Ohio State's defense is. Yeah, and and just to close it out, I would like to see what Penn State's passing game looks like with Mike Yurcich, who is a very downfield offensive coordinator. When they're not playing a team like Iowa, that just ruins your entire freaking day. Yeah, and and again, questions in the Ohio State secondary. So that that will be an interesting matchup. All right, we will be back on the Wednesday pod. Might we add, guess what? You know how we kicked out Oregon last week? Kind of me <laughs> pushing Shahan to kick out Oregon. Just kick him out. Kick the ducks out. I have a feeling. <laughs> just get the let's get the jump on the world and show show the people in Singapore how we're ahead of the game. Get rid of the. I have a feeling Oregon might be back, but might we add another team? Could we add Penn State? Could we add Florida? Could we add somebody else? I don't know. Could we kick somebody out? Are we going to kick out Ohio State? Are we going to kick out Iowa State for losing? Those two teams lost. Notre Dame barely won again. Are we going to kick out Notre Dame? I don't know. That's what we'll do. And then we'll rank those teams in the middle of the show. We hope you join us on Wednesday. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. 817-442-6789 for the texts. And if you like us, we'd take a review at Apple Podcasts. We have some. We have a 4.8 or 4.9 rating there. Haven't gotten as many reviews lately. You know, people very excited off the bat now they're sick of me if you have the time and you enjoy the show tell a friend and drop a review for now for shahan J. haraja i'm douglay maurice and that was the college football playoff show 